As we um, gather together and, and uh, focus on God's word a little bit, and I was thinking about this this um, this young man uh, who didn't who didn't seem that different from any other young man, I guess. You know, um, he he lived here in the United States, and uh, and he just kind of went through the the motions of what you're supposed to do. You know, um, had it all together, it would seem. Uh, it's pretty easy, I think, in our in our culture to go just blend in. You know. Uh, in this time right now, we feel like there's extraordinary men and women that are being raised up, um, and yet there's so many of us who are just kind of, just, just blend in. And um, there's this young man, and, and uh, it didn't seem like an extraordinary life at all. It didn't seem like uh, anything was wrong, honestly. Uh, from the outside, any of us would have said, he's just like me. Some of us may have even said, well, I would, I would like to be like that. that. That would be great. Young man had a family, was um, succeeding, doing, doing pretty well. Uh, not top of his class or anything, but doing pretty well. And, and um, from the outside looking in, you may say, uh, they got it together. You know? he's, he's on target. He's doing, you know, he's doing well. And, and yet, the truth in the young man's heart was different. Because as much as everyone around would say, you're fine, you're fine. The truth was that um, in this young man's heart, things weren't fine at all. They weren't fine at all. I struggle a little bit to tell you that story uh, because it's my story. One of the hardest things that I've, I've had to tell people who knew me before I met Jesus is, is how revolutionary the change has been in my life. Uh, because many of my old friends would say, you're the same as you've always been. And I would say, no, no, no. We sing songs about that from the inside out, this transformation that takes place. And, um, and today we're going to spend some time talking about our story a little bit. Uh, the title of today is, is actually a dramatic conversion and, and I think that we are kind of instantly drawn to dramatic conversion stories, you know. We want to hear about the drug user who was, who was on their last, you know, line of coke, and then all of a sudden God intervened and saved them. Or we want to hear about the, the married couple who was on the verge of divorce and God intervened. Or, or we want to hear about the, the kid who had run away from home and, and was, was, you know, I mean, at the worst situation you could imagine, and God intervened. We like to tell and hear those stories, and they're true. And yet, so many of the conversion stories are happening right amongst us, I, I believe. The reason we tell those stories, and I, I get disheartened a little bit, because we continually share these stories that are other people's stories. And probably one of the, the most disheartening things to hear is someone says, well, I don't really have much of a story. See, I don't believe that for a minute. Because if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, your story is revolutionary. Now, you may not understand how to articulate that, but it's true people who, who would say, well, I've always believed. Wow. I don't know how that works. You know? People who've said, uh, the Lord's always been there. I remember whenever I was four years old and God spoke to me. What? I just want to encourage you in that today that these ordinary stories of conversion, we can get hung up on the dramatic. And uh, ordinary stories of conversion are just as honoring to God and probably more pro prolific than these profound encounters that we hear about in text and we share with each other the stories that are easy to retell. So I want to start with that word of encouragement this morning. 
Now, I have a question, and one of the things that I hope is happening as we've been journeying with family groups is these conversations are starting to happen in the family groups. Um, and I just wanted to kind of ask you all who've been journeying in family groups, what, what are some of the conversations you've had? Any, anything at all that you've been talking about? We've been going for four weeks now, and you can, you can answer. The, the book answers are okay, too. What we've been talking about in the book? A lot of community and relationship stuff, okay? What's interesting about this is it's textually driven. This is all ba based on the Bible. It's kind of funny, right? Because it, it would sound like kind of new wave and trendy or whatever, but it's right out of the text. What else? Well, the power of the Holy Spirit. Has anybody been a little unsettled by that? Thanks, man. Has anyone been unsettled at all? I, I'll confess it. I've been a little unsettled by that. Because when you start to really get through your head that the Spirit moves as fire and as wind, it's out of our control, you know? And, and it's happened more not in the, the preaching time, more in the conversational time with people when the vision really starts to catch that God is speaking, that God cares, that God loves actively, not passively. That God isn't this kind of old man in the sky looking down his nose at us and hoping that, you know, seeing how we do, but rather one who is there with us intervening on our behalf constantly, continually, and um, anyone else? What, what else have we been talking about? believe it. <laughs> isn't that funny? So many times I believe I mean, that's exactly, that's a little unsettling too, isn't it? Because we can say it with our mouth, but man, you have to believe it in your heart. All oh, the things, everything, the equations change, right? Things shift. It should be a little unsettling. I mean, even if, even if you're lockstep, it's a little unsettling, the God, the God who is uh, moving among us. Anyone else have any conversations you've been having in family groups? Or outside of family groups, by the way. So here's what I want to say to you. Matt and I were talking this week, and Dan. <laughs> and Dan was talking. Right, Dan? Yeah. And, um, and so we were, we were talking about family groups and stuff. And one of the things that we feel a little bad about is that some of you who maybe didn't sign up uh, because you were, you were not paying attention for those four weeks or whatever, um, aren't journeying with us, okay? And so what I'm going to say to you today is actually we had a few extra books we bought, and I believe this is okay to do this. Do you want to? Yeah, okay, good. And so what we're going to do is if you have, are not in a family group, and whether it's scheduling or whatever, but you think, man, what are they talking about week in and week out? If you want to grab a, a book off of the table, the family book um, participant guide, it won't make a lot of sense to you if you're not journeying in a family group, but you can try to follow along a little bit if you're a, if you're a studier, if you want a study guide. We have about 10 of those left over, so if you'd like to grab one of those, they're yours to have and to use because we're not going to use them at this point. Our family groups are locked and rolling. So I'd encourage you to grab one of those. Uh, you may want to grab one per family so that, you know, so that we, there's 10 of them back there, but if there's extras next week, you can take the rest. Um, I would just encourage you to grab one of those and start putting them to use. So we're going to get into the word here a little bit this morning, but, but as we do, I want to say that um, uh, we're going to do a little bit of this catch-up stuff we've been doing. So if you want to grab a Bible, uh, if you don't have one, if you didn't bring one with you, grab one off the chairs there, and we're going to read a little bit here together. The story of the book of Acts, uh, the, the few things that I, point, that I notice here is that Jesus made promises at the beginning of the book of Acts. We talked about those promises before he went to be with the Father in heaven. This is after he was, was 
killed and resurrected from the, the dead, which is a big deal, right? And then he is, he is standing there and he, he goes to heaven and makes promises about the coming counselor. And the Spirit descends, we've learned about that, the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's called Pentecost in the church. And then there's this new community that comes out of it. And then last we talked about conflicts a little bit, some of the conflicts. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week um, in the book of Acts, which is chapter 6. And again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to touch some of these big stories that are happening in the life of the early church and, um, and encourage you all to talk about those, to read about those uh, as we journey together. Just because it's not in the material. If you're reading your Bible, that's what we're kind of doing anyway. There's nothing in the material that's not in the text. So you, you can follow along that way as well. We're going to start with chapter 6. I'm just going to read here verse 8 through uh, verse 12 uh, together. It says, now Stephen, and by the way, you'll remember Stephen, right? Because Stephen was one of the seven that was appointed to wait tables, right? He was a Grecian Jew. And so this is the Stephen right here after we talked about last week. You know, so the word of God spread, it says in verse seven there. So in verse eight, it says, now Stephen, a man that was full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as they were called. I love that little side note there by the author, uh, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. I think that's kind of interesting because these guys were appointed to wait tables, and if you were drinking with a group, we spent a lot of time talking about what that meant to wait tables exactly. Um, but, but yet he was so filled with the spirit and wisdom, which is what the qualifications for serving were, that no one could even uh, speak against him in any you know, uh, successful way. In verse 11, it says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. You see, they're trying to get him in trouble here. And so they stirred up the people, right, and the elders and the teachers of the law. And they seized Stephen, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. So this guy, Stephen, who was appointed to kind of fix this problem with the widows, is all of a sudden thrust into this role, this, this beyond what he started out. And we talked about that in our family group a little bit, and this idea that just because you are where you are doesn't mean you're going to be there forever. And, and some of you might want to be there forever. You may not be comfortable moving on. God, you, you might say, God, I'm, I'm here. I believe. I just want to be left alone now. But I hate to tell you this. God doesn't do a good job of leaving you alone. Okay, he's, he's, he's going to push you on into other things sometimes. And then other times we might want to climb the ladder. We might want to go somewhere and God might go, nah, you're staying right where you are. <laughs> because there's something that's in this whole text. It's God's sovereignty. That God is sovereign over our lives. And so here, uh, Stephen's going to be pushed right out of this role and, and into a bigger stage here with the Sanhedrin. And a bigger stage in the text in the Bible. So Stephen, the spirit-filled table waiter, I wrote down here, right? By the way, the other thing I would encourage you to do is it's in your, it's in your bulletin there. Uh, you can read chapters 7 through 9 just in your time this week as you're studying the word or just reading the word. You can just read chapter 7 through 9. That's going to cover everything that we're going to kind of roll through here really quickly. And the more details, there's so much stuff in here that we can't uh, talk about this morning, that we're not going to talk about this morning. So Stephen, this guy who's a spirit-filled table waiter, is brought before the Sanhedrin, right? And he retells us our story. And, and, and I say that because it's kind of funny. He retells them their story. If you look, the whole chapter 7 is, is uh, when, Peter, when Stephen is asked, are these charges true? He tells them the history of the living God. And I don't know how it would feel to you, but if you had been following Jesus for a long time, and then you accused someone of doing something you thought was ungodly, and then they started to tell you your story back... This might be a little offensive to you. It might be a little offensive to me. 
Well, I, you know how long I've been a Christian? You know how long, I, you know how long I've been? No. And, and so there's this natural, visceral response, but he's only telling them the truth that they don't seem to be able to hear. And we're not going to be able to read that, but he rolls through and he tells the whole story of the people of Israel. It's interesting too, by the way, that he is a Grecian Jew. That means he was born somewhere else. He speaks another language and he is here in Jerusalem telling the Hebrews their story again. Okay? The, the, the rulers, the rulers here. And so um, it's interesting to see that that is happening. I want to read one uh, verse here together. Acts chapter uh, 7, verse 51 and you've probably heard this story before, but I just wanted, this is the conclusion of his big speech here to the Sanhedrin. And this is when he's really getting wrapped up. By the way, if you get really wrapped up speaking the word of God, it can get you killed. Because this is what happens. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. I mean, now he's rolling, you see. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Where was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but you've not obeyed it. And when they heard this, look at the response. They were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and they screamed at the top of their lungs and they rushed towards him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. This was a pretty visceral response to Stephen's testimony. Just what he, what he was seeing, what he was experiencing, right? It was such a threat to them. And to their faith. And I just think it's so funny to see this kind of, these grown men just covering their ears. They can't listen to it anymore. And Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Christian church. Right? Up till now, this has kind of been a Jewish sect. It's been this thing that's kind of been tolerated. Right? They were tolerant. But this message threatens everything that they've followed, and they can't make the switch. And that might be the case with you. This, this, this Jesus stuff might threaten everything that you've ever believed, everything you've ever told all your friends, and that's the truth. And here they respond by, by uh, killing the messenger, and he becomes our first Christian martyr. Now we're going to read on down here. So that's, that's the story of Stephen, a little bit of the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And then it says... Um, Right after that, in Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 1, it says this. I'm going to skip that first part there, and it says like 1B if there's a, there's a number there. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the whole church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. And that's kind of a fascinating side effect, right? As soon as the Stephen thing happens, the church is scattered to all the ends of the earth. This idea of being apostles, being sent ones, it's not the way you would think it would happen, but this is the way the book of Acts records it. They're kind of run out of town. And this guy named Saul starts to chase them down. Have you ever seen a rout in a battle? Have you ever seen somebody who, who gets victory and it's, it's just not enough? They have to destroy every last thing they see? There's this idea that when, when, they, when they were finally confronted, they were destroyed 
and they started to run for their lives. And that wasn't even good enough. They were going to be tracked down and killed. And this is part of the story. The context of today's text is the church has been scattered beyond Jerusalem. It's no longer this kind of odd sect there. It's these people who are starting real trouble among us, and now they've been thrown out to the outer regions. Then there's this great story about Simon the sorcerer, and it starts in chapter 8, verse 9. We're not going to read from there, though, but, but I want to say that it's interesting because it's a, it's a story about checking our motives, about, about why, are we, why do we want to follow Jesus anyway, you know, it, because there's something about motives that matter, and the story is told here of Simon the sorcerer, right? I'm just going to read a little bit of that in, in chapter 8, verse 13, and I'm going to skip down to 20. I think I'm going to skip to 20. No, 18. Okay. So starting with 13, it says this. Simon himself believed, okay, because the, the ones who had scattered had come to town and preached the gospel. And Simon himself, who had been a magician, believed and was baptized. And now he followed Philip. By the way, Philip here is probably one of the other servants, the table servants, or could have been one of the apostles. It gets really confusing now because the names are the same. But he followed Philip everywhere. And he was astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. And in verse 18, when Simon saw the Spirit, this is the Spirit of God, was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them some money. And he said, give to me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered this way, may your money die with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. And isn't that an interesting thing? You would think on the surface what he's asking for is a good thing. He actually believed, it says. He actually submitted himself to baptism, it says. But when he saw there was this power, he saw there was this way, he knew everyone. They were amazed by his magic already, but he couldn't do this magic, right? And then all of a sudden, here he is. He's like, hey, let me give you a little extra money. Let me just let me buy my way into the system. And Peter knows this is not the way you enter the kingdom of God. This is not the way you come. Here's the problem. We talk a lot about this idea of laying on of hands, and, and I, this, it really means uh, care, care, I think is the way it's pronounced, okay? Um, and it's this space right here, this grasping space. It's this hollowness. And he doesn't come with this hollowness, but he comes with this kind of fistful of money. He, 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 it's his approach that's wrong. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and I'm going to bring all my resources over here, and man, we're going to bring you glory. And Jesus says, are you kidding me? Do I need your stuff? What do I need from you? An empty hand and a willing heart, right? And not a quest for power, not a quest for rule or dominion. We can build. What was the memory verse last week? If it's a work of man, it will surely fail. But if it's a work of God, nothing can stop it. And that's this true gospel message that's presented here again. By the way, this week's memory verse is verse 21. Uh, eight, chapter 821, on your connection card, actually on the bottom of your, uh, your bulletin there, there's a spot there, um, the next steps we put in there each week, and that's the memory verse this week is, is chapter 8, verse 21, if you want to memorize that this week, it's a, it's a good one to memorize. Um, so then we have this Philip, same Philip guy now, and he goes to the Ethiopian, and we've heard this story together as a community. This is the Philip that runs along, and here's the guy reading scriptures, right, an Ethiopian eunuch, and he runs alongside, and the guy says, and he says, what are you reading? And he says, I don't understand it, and Philip explains it to him. And it's really cool because what happens here is in short order, this Ethiopian eunuch says, well, well, what's to stop me from getting baptized? And Philip says, nothing. 
And I mention that because we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate a baptism service on the 30th of November. And if, if you've been journeying for a long time but don't understand this baptism thing, I would love to talk to you about it. It's something about an outward um, confession, a witness to the change that God is doing in your life and a commitment at the same time. All kinds of meaning in it, but it's a communal response to the living word. And if you've been struggling, maybe you thought, maybe I, I, I don't know if I want to get baptized. Maybe you got pride issues. You don't want to submit to it. I don't know what it is, but I pray that God's working in your heart. We've got a couple people that are probably going to be baptized, but we, we, we're welcome to, you know, there's water. <laughs> That's what we're going to say that night. There's water. <laughs> if you want to be baptized and follow Jesus, this is the time to do it. And so, um, that's going to be an opportunity for you as well. But I love the way Philip and, and uh, the eunuch encounter each other there. And he kind of says, yeah, and he's baptized. And then Philip is gone just like that quick. He's out of there, right? And so um, that's in Acts. I'm going to read a little bit of Acts 34, Acts chapter 8, verse 34, I should say. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? This is from the book of Isaiah, by the way. And the, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the great news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to water, and Philip baptized him. And uh, what a great story. Sometimes I think we let that gap go too long. We try to put too much meaning into it. And another, I think another way we fall down in this is we say, Whenever I get right, God is working in your life. Do you understand that? You aren't bringing anything to the equation. God is working in your life. And so you're just affirming that through the act of baptism, through submitting. By the way, it's not just baptism that you need, though. It's repentant, a repentant heart and baptism. It means you're going to change directions. And that's what today's story is about. It's about a repentant heart. And so we're going to read together right here, uh, chapter 9 of the uh, book of Acts. And, uh, but I want to pray as we get into the word here. Father God, I pray that by your spirit, by your wisdom, by your power, Lord, you'd open the word to our hearts, that... Uh, broken mouths could proclaim the truth of your gospel, your glorious gospel, and that broken hearts could accept you, that broken minds, Lord, could, could fathom a God that's beyond all things. And uh, we just love you and thank you, and we trust your spirit for the work, and um, pray that you would be glorified by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 9, verse 1 says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. By the way, interesting that it's high priest here, right? Because who was being converted at the end of the last chapter we were reading? The last reading, it said it was in chapter 6. We've got a minute here. We'll look back. I thought it was a peculiar statement to make. In the end of chapter 6, it says, um, verse 7, The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So this, they're not just converting like the kind of normal folks. They're converting people who are in charge of stuff. And so here it is in the verse, chapter 9, verse 1, that Saul is breathing out murderous threats, and he goes uh, to the high priest. This is the prime priest. This is the big kahuna, the guy in charge. And he asks him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, right? So that he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so he's asking for, for papers, right? For uh, what would you call it? Um, what is it when you want to go and kick down doors and a warrant? Yeah, a search warrant. Thank you. You know, he wants some permission. He doesn't want to look like he's, he, he's a rebel. He's just going to go and get the rebels, okay? And so he's looking for some authority, some right, some purpose to do this. And it's interesting here, too, that he's looking for men or women, either one. He's indiscriminate here in his approach, 
Because he knows that either one is a threat. A man after God's own heart is a threat. A woman after God's own heart is a threat. And this is still the case today, and I hope you understand that. It's still the case today. It's a threat to everything that any power other than the Lord who speaks, it's a threat against all of them. Any other power, any other domain, any other authority, it becomes a threat to them. And so he gets his permission to go do this. And it's interesting here. It says that they belong to the way. And the way there in my Bible is capitalized. Now, it just means the journey or the path or the, 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 the road, right? But it's these people who they begin to define themselves somehow by this community they're part of, you see. Something in their behavior, something in their spirit, something in their approach that you could, you could line them up and make a group out of them and say, you're all people of the way. And so these are the people that, that Paul's asking for us to go after. Whether men or women, he might take them prisoners back to Jerusalem. The word prisoners here is interesting too because it's deo, right? And this word repeats, repeats, repeats in this narrative. So this, it's this idea of binding them up. It means to tie them up, to hog tie them, to, to, to clip them in chains, right? And he's going to drive them back to Jerusalem. What? For their slaughter. I mean, he, they're not going back there for a court, a speedy trial. They're going back there to their demise, okay? And so Saul is murderously threatening them and their lives. And he gets permission. It's implied there. He gets permission to do it. And as he nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I'm going to keep reading here. And he says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now, this has to be a little bit of a shock to the system for Saul, okay? I mean, I don't think we can understand the gravity of the revelation this is to Saul. Because Saul, first of all, believes he has a righteous heart. These are righteous killings. This is not something that's, that's an abomination to God, you see. He's keeping God's kingdom pure. Any, any God's kingdom warriors there out there, you know, keeping God's kingdom pure, doing the right thing, you know what I'm saying? There's something that's so unbelievable about this experience that Saul has. He gets the permission from the higher-ups. They've given him the authority, and they're the people who are speaking for God, right? So he's on God's side. And then midway down the road, he's knocked on his butt. Wham, like that. He's down, right? And this is the question. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And there's so much stuff in this text. It's so unbelievable, really. This, this, this light that came from heaven that was flashing around him, it wasn't just like a light from heaven. It wasn't just like he couldn't see. It was like lightning, it means. It was like a star, aster is the root word here. Like this thing, it's overwhelming. I think I said before, we talked about this a little bit because we talked about Paul a few weeks ago. He saw stars, Right? He was knocked down and seeing stars. He was out of it. He had no orientation any longer. And I love, look at the conversation that happens here. First of all, he says the name twice. Um, I would, why is that? Why does he say Saul, Saul? Sometimes we don't get it the first time. Sometimes we ain't listening yet. Maybe he needs to call us by name so we're like, oh my God, you know me. I don't know if you've ever been brought to your knees by the living God. Have you ever heard him call you by name and push you down? And I don't mean to say this is like a good thing. See, we make this too much like it's going to be this great experience. You're going to come up and you're going to give your life and you're going to be lifted up. And sometimes what happens is God knocks you down first because we are full of pride. We're, we're, we're okay. 
I sat in the service one Sunday morning, and a guy was preaching the gospel to me, and I was off in la-la land, and at the invitation time, he started to say, maybe you have this problem, maybe you have that problem, maybe, and in my mind, I started making a checklist, and I started going, nope, check, nope, check, nope, check, and you know what happened? The next day, God knocked me down because I walked out of there, and I was all proud. I don't need God. Nope, not me. I got it together. And I mean to tell you, all my friends, they were going, you got it together, man. You got it together. And the next day, God said, down, boy, down. You see, I don't want to make it like it was this big, uplifting journey all the time, you know, because sometimes you get pushed down first. Sometimes you're on the ground first. Sometimes you got to be down there to repent to know that you've sinned against the living God. Look what he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you being mean to other people? He doesn't say, why are you being mean to brothers and sisters? Saul, Saul, you're an affront to me, to me, right? And look at Saul's response. Now, I love it because it's, first of all, he's having a conversation which shows a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of guts, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word here. He's going to say something back to the voice of speaking from the light with the stars. And, you know, this is a bold man. But look what he says. Who are you, Lord? Right? By the way, one of the things I want to say here is this word why right here, it can be, it's the same word as who here in verse 5. See, Saul, Saul, why? Who are you, Lord? That's the same exact word in Greek. And it can mean which, what, who, or sometimes why. (laughs) It's like the vowels, right? But they translate it why there, which is interesting because it could, he could have been saying, who are you to persecute me, right? Saul of, the, you know, of, of, uh, of Tarsus, who are you to persecute me? And here's what he says, who are you, Lord? Now, it's funny because that, be, that could be like a, kind of talking back to your dad at the table. <laughs> you know, you've already been knocked down. <laughs> who are you? Well, first of all, I'm the guy that knocked you down. <laughs> but then Paul says, Lord, kurios in Greek, it means master. It means ruler. It means supreme one. It's a title that's reserved for the upper echelon of society. It's the one you have to call people who are in charge, who have authority. And somehow in this moment, there's enough grace given to Paul, because I believe that's what saves us. There's enough grace given to Paul that in his state, in his failed state in front of the living God, he says, who are you, Lord? You know, you, obviously you got authority. Obviously you got power. So who are you? Look at the response that is given. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. By the way, the he replied there isn't there in the Greek. It doesn't say he replied. It's assumed, you see. And what's interesting is it's the I am. It's uh, emmy. It's, it's being. It's, it's the I am. It, there's no better way to say it. It's the hardest thing. I will be. I was. I am. It's this eternal present God. And he says, Jesus, Right? I am Jesus. It's the same story here when they're walking. He says, do not be afraid. It is I, right? It's the eternally existing God who, who Saul has been affronting, who Saul has been persecuting. By the way, the word persecute there means chase people around. That means you won't leave them alone. You're chasing them around, chasing them around. And, and in the middle of this road to Damascus, God has had enough of Saul. He's had enough. Sometimes, maybe this is wrong, but sometimes with folks who, 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 for whatever reason, can't grasp the gospel, is it okay to pray that prayer? You know, let them be bold in their sinning, Lord. 
Let them be an affront to the gospel. Because there's something about being knocked down that allows us to listen and to understand the truth. And so he says, now get up. So he knocks him down. It reminds me of an old gym teacher I used to have in health class. I fell asleep in class one time. And he said, he walks over and he goes, Dempsey! And I was like on my desk. He goes, wake up! And he was a big guy, so I was scared. I was a little guy. And he goes, go to sleep. <laughs> I'm like, what was the point of that? You know? <laughs> That's what reminds me of Paul here. He knocks him down and he says, now get up. And so Saul is listening. And he says, get up and go into the city and be told what you must do. Now, the men who were traveling with Saul, it tells us here, is stood there and they were speechless. It means they stopped dead in their tracks, okay? And look what happens. They heard the sound, but they did not see anything, okay? So they're walking along. They hear a noise. Paul's down. Saul's down. I apologize for that. And, and then they're just stunned. They're speechless and they're stopped. They, something happened right? But they don't understand it. And when Saul gets up from the ground, he opens his eyes and he can no longer see. That's literally what it means. It means he was made blind by this encounter from God. And so they led him by the hand to Damascus. And, they, and uh, for three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. So here is Saul and he's, he, he's on this journey, and all of a sudden, he's rerouted to the city. And I just can't help imagining what it would have felt like. Because not only did he get knocked down and have to submit to a higher authority, but then he couldn't even understand what was happening to him. Have you ever tried to do a blindfold thing and then walk through a room? Have you ever played any games like that? That's all like fun little icebreakers if you've ever been in the, in the situation. I, I did it with a lot of youth and stuff. And we would do mean things like move the equipment around in the room <laughs> just to make it harder and you'd just, you hate your shin and stuff. But there, and then we do trust, like trust stuff that way. Trust your partner. Listen to the voice. You know, these kind of lessons in life. But, but could you imagine having all this authority to persecute and suddenly you are the weakest man on the planet. You, you, have, you have nothing to do but to follow someone else. To let them lead you by the hand to a place you don't understand your, where you're going. And this is Saul's experience. It's interesting too that it's three days, Right? Three days, he saw the light, and then he was blind. And, and I can't help but think there's some allusion there to the tomb. You know, this journey that Jesus took on our behalf, it's a great mystery, those three days. Absolutely disconnected. A, a terror, I mean, he cries out from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, right? Why have you forsaken me? There's the same thing here with Saul. Three days, three days, he's blind. And he can no longer see. And, and then the last thing I want to say here about this part is, is, is he is consuming. He's not eating or drinking anything for three days, right? And I'd like to say this is some kind of righteous fast he called, but, I, but he's probably pretty shook up, <laughs> you know? He just can't eat. And it actually means he wasn't consuming anything, and he wasn't pouring anything into his body. What's the opposite of consuming and being poured into? It's being emptied. And in some way, Paul is being prepared in those three days. Sometimes, there's that time in your life where you don't know what hits you. And you feel like you're walking around blind. And there's nothing going in. And there's no sustenance anymore. And nothing makes sense. And yet, in this situation with Saul, God's using this as preparation for what's to come. 
I'm going to read on here uh, to this next part of the story here. So, so in Damascus, so for three, I'll start in chapter nine, uh, chapter nine, verse nine. There it says, for three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. Nothing was going in. He was being emptied. And in Damascus, there was a disciple, right? That's another methetes, another learner, which I love. This keeps coming up in the book of Acts. This learner idea, named Ananias. Now, you might remember Ananias this happens three times in the book of Acts. It happens back with Ananias, the guy who was knocked dead by God. It happens here with this Ananias, the disciple here. It happens again with the high priest, Ananias, in the end, whenever he's calling people in before him um, to kind of rule them. I think it was Paul who testifies to him then. And, uh, but Ananias is mentioned here, different Ananias, and it says there was a disciple, this learner named Ananias, and the Lord called him, called him in a vision, right? And he says, look at the Ananias, he says at one time. And here's Ananias' response, yes, Lord. And it actually means, look, Lord, like, yep, here. You know, he's been through this before. It's the same idea what happened to Saul on the road, except there's this kind of openness to it. There's this response to it. There's this, this of course you answer with one call of your name. I don't know if you learn that. I'm trying to learn that myself. He calls you once, you answer. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. That means the level street, the, uh, the straight street. Uh, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul because he is praying. I bet he was. Like, if you can't see, you don't know where you are, and you have no sustenance anymore, you're probably praying a little bit, right? So he says, go there and ask for Saul from Tarsus because he's praying. And look what he says. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. See, that's, this tells me lots of stuff right here, that this vision, that, that God didn't just knock Saul off knocks all down and have him let in there without telling him anything else because here God is telling us something new or the author is telling us something new Luke is about what God revealed to Saul that God had told Saul that this guy named Ananias was coming and placing his hands on you and is going to restore your sight and so he's praying so Saul is waiting and praying blind as a bat waiting and praying for this guy named Ananias now this might seem like a coincidence to Ananias well, he could be praying for any other Ananias, maybe, right? Who knows? Look at his response. He says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all of the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest anyone who calls on your name. It means anyone who claims you as Lord, anyone who claims you as Savior. He's coming to kill us, right? And Ananias here responds in fear, responds in fear. One of the things that's interesting to me is, is, is that we act as if God is not sovereign sometimes, do we not? We act as if God is not working in everyone's life at the same time. This maybe is the, the, the great, I don't know, sin of our culture, is that everything is about me. Well, God's working in my heart, but not in your heart. God didn't bring you here today. God didn't do that for you. God did it for me. And so we're on this individual journey, not understanding there's this, there's this large narrative we're all part of. God is sovereign over the situation. And, um, and I think it's interesting how he gives the same vision. He's given an Anani- a vision to Ananias and the same vision he's giving to Saul at the same time. I was telling you, I was, I was uh, at that point in my life, God had knocked me down and I had repented and I had accepted Jesus. And I didn't really know what that meant. And I didn't have a chance to go back into my old employer situation I was in. I got a new job, and it was the weirdest thing. And I was, God's sovereignty was all over my life, and so I was just rolling through. And a friend of mine from my old employer calls me up out of the blue, and he says, how you doing? And I said, I said well, I'm, I'm doing okay. James, how are you? 
I'm doing good, man. I've been thinking about you. He was there when I got, I got the ax. You know, that's, those are soulmates for life. When they're looking, tearing your eyes and you've gotten laid off. And, and, um, and, Saul is, or, or Saul, and, and so James is there on the phone with me. He's like, he's like yeah, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Good. And we're talking around. And the whole time in the conversation, I, I've just hit, I always talk about God hitting you in the back of the head with a two by four. Like, you know, like he's trying to get you to spit something out. Just say it, you know. You're like, no. And he's like, say it. And the third time, this is how stubborn I am, the third time he said, say it. And I said, James, i got to tell you something. He says, what? I said, I accepted Jesus. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to think you're nuts, right? And I said, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Everything's crazy now. I don't even understand it all. And there was this long pause. And James said, so did I. What? James, God's been working in your life too? And James and I became just like, like blood brothers. And we started to get together and have lunch in downtown. He still worked in downtown where I had gotten laid off from. And we started this whole thing and we still pray for each other. And it's just amazing because I was so goofy not to think that of course, of course God is sovereign. Of course God is moving. And if God is saying, say it, say it, you should be saying it because he's trying to use you for his kingdom work. Witnessing to my brother James and James witnessed to me and we were all edified. It was beautiful, right? But Ananias here he responds like most of us do in fear. And he says, you don't know who this is. You don't know what this person's about. You don't know what the history is with this person. You don't know what they think of me. You don't know what they're going to think after I tell them this. You don't know what, you don't know. And God says, I know. I know. One of the next steps for this week, and I just prayed about these things, and, and uh, if it's for you, it's for you. I, I pray it is for you today, uh, is to overcome our fears and reach out to someone with the gospel. I don't mean in any weird way. I just mean listen for God. And if God says, say it, say it. You know? It's not that hard. It's just if God says, say it. If God don't say, say it, don't say nothing. You know, just to chill out. But if God's telling you to say it, listen and speak. Speak. So then he goes on here. Let's read on here. Uh, so the Lord, so he said, Lord, this, you don't know this guy Saul. And he has come with authority, chief priests and all that stuff. And God says to Ananias, go. And here's something profound that he's going to tell Ananias. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, a couple of things here as we close up is that, that there was this idea that uh, Saul was going on this journey to bind people in chains, to, to, to cart them off, right, to Jerusalem. And what happens is he is carted off to Damascus, blind as a bat, right? And he's waiting there. And here at the end it says, Ananias, he says, go and do this because this guy is my chosen instrument. That's what it means. He's the tool I'm going to use to carry my name before the Gentiles, right? He ain't carrying off my believers. He's going to carry my name out into the world and their kings and the people of Israel. And he says, and I will show him how much he must be bound, how much he must be bound, for my name's sake, I'm going to show Saul how much he must be bound to change, bound to being affected. The word is suffer here, but it means to be changed, to be, to be transformed, to be um, affected. That's really what it means, to have God act on you. And he says, I'm going to show him how much he has to be bound, the same word, for my name's sake. 
And so Ananias does it, and he shows up, terrified, I'm sure, right? And he says, goes into the house and enters it, and uh, places his hands on Saul, and he speaks these words to him. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, immediately something like scales fell down from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking in some food, he began to gain his strength. And this is the story. This is the narrative. What we call uh, a dramatic conversion story, right? But it's our story. It's the same story that happens now. And I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know where you are today. I don't know why you think you came here today. But I just want you to hear that God is moving your life that God loves you, and even if you've been knocked down, it could be knocked, you could be knocked down because God loves you, and he's trying to save you, and you don't even know it. It's part of my story. It's part of all of our story, is that we've fallen short. And so this is what he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus sent me that you may see again and be filled. And this is exactly what happens. And as we know, later on, Saul becomes Paul, and Paul changes the world changes the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to say to you today, no gloss, nothing like that. There is a call in your life to repent. That literally means you turn around and go a different direction. Saul could not have turned much harder than he did, right? From persecuting the church to driving the church into all the ends of the earth. He literally just turned around when God demanded it. My prayer is that today, if you're here with us and God's demanding you to turn around, to repent, to stop, to stop, to look at him and believe, I pray you would answer that call today. And then the second part of that is then to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This has been the consistent teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples and that then Peter and Paul testified to, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and be baptized. There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to do it but through Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer for you today, is that if God is moving your life, you repent and believe. Please pray with me. Father God, we uh, thank you for this day. We thank you that, uh, um, that you've already spoken to us, that, that, that our being here has is, is been brought about by your spirit and by your wisdom and your power. And Lord, I pray today that there are places, if, if our hearts are unrepentant before your throne today, Lord, that we would repent today that we would dare to believe the gospel, that God loves us, that God has a plan for us, and that God is trying to lead us home. Father, that would be our prayer of our hearts today, Lord, that you would take that command in our life, that we might call you master, that we might call you savior, that we might act like fools because we know the truth, that we're no longer blinded by the world. And Father, we pray these things that you might be glorified and that we might be uh, edified and grow. And if there's some way, if there's some place in our life that we're complacent, if there's something that, that we've repented and we've followed and we've been baptized, but we're just holding back or we're just thinking that, I pray that you would give us a spirit of discernment that we could hear, that we could know the voice of God, that we could know you when you call to us and that you don't have to keep telling us three times to do stuff, that we'll listen the first time, maybe the second time. Father God, I pray that prayer today that that be our new hearts, 
there's any reason we need to repent today, Lord, I pray your spirit would move among us and we would do it. Repent today. Give our lives over to you that you'd be glorified. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.